So it's good to be with you again this morning. Um, as some of you will know, uh, Megan and I were away last week, and I thought I'd just share a little bit about um, the uh, journey of church planting that we're on just as we begin uh, this time together. And it's uh, one of the things that we um, did was we were able to go to a church planting school in uh, Tacoma, Washington last weekend. And it was both encouraging and challenging. It was, it was encouraging to be with people that are on a similar journey to us and uh, to hear some of their stories, to hear that it's actually not kind of this linear line to A, B, C, D, and everything unfolds like a one big happy family and it's all good. But it's actually a very messy journey of church planting, that it's, it's a winding road where God continues to prove himself faithful both through the ups and the downs. And, and to not just learn in the classroom, but also to actually have an opportunity to experience their life together. So we had times of teaching, but also times where we could actually be with families that were on mission together, sharing the gospel with their neighbors uh, in a variety of ways. And so um, that, was, that was really encouraging to us. And some of you have asked, you know, so, so how's it going? And it's, uh, it's, be, it's been a bit of an up and down thing, to be quite honest. And um, it's, it's a hard thing to, to answer at this stage. There's quite a few variables. And we've seen uh, a number of people that have, for a variety of reasons, uh, for school, some for jobs, uh, have been a part of our group, but then are, have moved or are moving away. Others gratefully have come into our group that are new, new university students. We have a, a senior individual senior who's uh, gotten involved recently in our group, and and, uh, and we, we anticipate seeing some uh, First Nations kid, young people come uh, as well in the future. And so we've got this dynamic of, of change consistently, and so you, you just kind of begin to forge relationships, and then some go and some new come in. And so, so it's, really, it's really up and down, but I think that's just part of the journey. I think when you're starting small, everything, you notice everything, right? When, you, when it's a group of 10 to 12, when, so, when something changes, it's drastic. You know, when it's a, it's a group of 120, well, it's a little bit easier to kind of navigate that. So, but we trust, trust God in that, and we trust that he's going to continue to bring the people that he he desires to, to, to help form a core leadership group. Um, the other thing that others have asked is that, you know, have you got a place to meet yet? And, and I think it's just uh, maybe just helpful briefly just to share that, you know, church planting as we're embracing it isn't so much about a grab, getting a church building and, uh, and having kind of a, like a storefront or something and then being able to have services and things together. But it's actually beginning at a relational level where we begin to meet people, uh, first some Christians that will help to form a leadership team, but then to begin to, to meet our neighbors and such like that. And Gary, maybe you can just put up the, the slide there that I have for you. So our goal is to really to build a gospel-centered family, uh, people who serve like Jesus and through the power of the Spirit are sent out as missionaries who make disciples. And, and uh, next slide, the, the main re- way that we do that is missional communities. So it's, and we have two missional communities right now. We have one that's, that's very small. It's a number of university students that meet together on Tuesday nights regularly. And then on Wednesday nights, we have a number of families and uh, university students and some singles as well. Uh, who gather on Wednesday evenings for the purpose of sharing a meal. Uh, We share in in Bible study and prayer together, but also beginning to identify who is it that God would lead us to reach out to. And so it's not simply a Bible study, but it's a a group that gathers to grow in Christ for the purpose of reaching out to others. So that's where we're kind of emphasizing. So rather than starting, hey, have you got a building? No, but we do have a place to meet. We have several homes to meet in 
with missional communities. And then as we grow in that, um, the next thing is triads. And so we've talked about that in this church a number of times. Next slide there, Gary. Um, that those missional communities that even they're 10, 12 people, um, the university one's a bit smaller, but gathering uh, regularly to be able to encourage each other in our relationship with God and one another, to nurture faith in one another, to listen to the heart of what God is doing, and then to, to encourage each other to actually act on what God is saying to us. And then finally, as, as, we, uh, as we grow in those relationships, that we would have the next slide, Gary, that we would actually begin to have gatherings and worship services. And so it's, I just thought that might be helpful to you because, you know, when we started in Parksville, uh, it immediately started with a worship service. And, uh, and then some of the other stuff followed, followed suit afterwards. And we're actually kind of going at it the opposite direction, starting with relationships first. And so it's kind of, it's not something that's like, hey, there we are, Jericho Road and Imo. It's kind of hard to see necessarily, but it is at a foundational level where God is leading us to, to grow one another as disciple makers. So, so I hope that's helpful. But, um, and I think we need to ask the question, you know, why, why would we actually approach church planting in that way? Why not just get a building and start with great worship services? And I think part of it is, is what God has called Megan and I to, what he's put on our hearts in terms of church planting and how he's gifted us. Um, but I also think we need to consider what does it mean for the church, for us to not simply to go to church, but to be the church. And it's a, and it's a, it's a, it's a subtle distinction, but it is an important one as we, as we get going with this church plant. And, uh, and maybe next slide, uh, Gary, that that, you know, it's, it's actually interesting. Why should we be looking at the, another um, approach to church planting? I uh, just looked up some statistics. You know, only 23% of Canadians attend some sort of religious service, not even necessarily a Christian one, uh, monthly. And only 12 to 15% uh, attend some sort of religious service on a weekly basis. So, so to me, then, I think the question that we have to ask whether we're starting a church or whether we're in a current church is so what about the other 77 to 85 percent of people in Canada who will never who don't or just simply won't come to a Sunday morning service some sort of service is there then another means by which God would lead us to reach out to them and so it's not to poo-poo or to to shut down Sunday services that's that's not it you know that's one of the things that we desire to do as we grow is to celebrate all that God has done in this kind of setting where we can celebrate and worship, give testimony to the goodness of God, to hear the word taught, uh, to receive prayer, to receive communion. All those things are important aspects of our discipleship and our growth. But, but I think it does demand that we actually ask, ask the question honestly and then seek to answer it biblically. And that's what we're trying to do in Nanaimo as we uh, have a church plant that focuses on uh, becoming a f- gospel-centered family who serve in the way of Jesus and go out as missionaries in the power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples. So, so I haven't really had a chance to, to chat with us about this, I don't think, ever yet. So I thought of just a few minutes to be able to share a little bit. And certainly if you have any questions about uh, the journey that Megan are on in this, uh, in terms of church planting, we'd love to share that. Now I have to confess, now just because you know, the vision is becoming clearer and because we have a sense, a, a clear call in terms of how we're going to do this, does it doesn't mean that we actually have it all together. Surprise, surprise. I know you guys probably thought that we did. But, but, but it is, you know, that I'm, I have to admit, I'm learning how to lead a, a brand new group in a brand new way. I think, you know, having grown up in the church and then served in the church for, for a long time, to actually learn to lead in a different way is, is, and it's, it can be quite um, 
uh, what's the word? Uh, I think when you get used to something, you know, it's, it's easy to carry on, but when you, everything shifts out from underneath you, in a sense, when you have that significant change, it's, it's, it's hard, I can't think of the word, but it's just hard to, <laughs> to lead in that new way. It's challenging. Thank you, Ron. And uh, in this new way of being church, and, and I think, in, in fact, in the, in the school that we were at, one of the things that was a real blessing to me anyways is that um, the reason I put that up there, that, it, you know, that we are, God is leading us to become a gospel-centered family. Actually, when I was at the school, I really felt God was re-gospeling me, um, retelling me what is the good news for Dave. Not, and not only for me, you know, what is the good news for us as a church planning family? What is the good news for us at Jericho Road, the good news of God? And, and I was surprised, actually, at how much I needed to rehear the gospel. You know, I'm the pastor. I'm supposed to know this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, but God was speaking to me uh, quite clearly. And uh, they led us through something called what they called the four G's. And, uh, and I'd just like to share them with you. And they're, they're truths about God that address lies that are in our life. And so in, in one sense, we, we do this a lot here. We actually seek to identify the lies that we believe and, and apply the truth of God, declare the truth of God over them. But these were some of the ones that I needed uh, to hear. And the, and the first lie is uh, that my self-worth is tied to my success. You know, I think, there's, there's a, I think for, for all of us, when we step out into something new, there's that sense of wanting to uh, show that we, you know, that we can make it, that we can do this. And that our success actually begins to build our self-worth. And so the question is, you know, well, so what if this thing fails? You know, Parksville had a good run of four years, but we weren't able to, to see it carry on to fruition. What, what about the nine? Well, what if that fails? Is that, what if it doesn't happen or it doesn't happen very quickly? And, uh, and the truth of God is this, that God is gracious and I don't have to prove myself. That, that God simply asks us to actually, uh, rather than success, he says, if you would be faithful, he says, well done, good and successful servant. Uh, what does he say? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. And so, so that was one of the regospeling things that God was, was speaking into my life. And then um, another lie is that I have to live for the approval and expectations of others. And, you know, when you're, when you're starting in a church plant and you're receiving support from a variety of individuals, um, sometimes that, that's, uh, it's a vulnerable thing. You, you say, I, you know, you're, you're very clear that I have needs and people come alongside and you have that sense of, well, we expect to see something out of that. You know, we, we expect a, a return on our investment, as it were. And, and I think what God, you know, and that can lead to drivenness and overworking and, and even dishonesty, you know? Like there's, there, there's a temptation to be able to say, it's going really great, but maybe it isn't. And, uh, but God was, so God was saying, like, well, do we have to live for the expectations and approval of others, or do I need to remember that God is glorious, and therefore I do not need to fear what others think. I think another lie that, that God was speaking to me about is that it's all up to me. And, uh, you know, what, one of the things that happened uh, this late this summer is we had the opportunity to meet with this, this wonderful young couple. They were just moved to Nanaimo from Victoria, um, two young boys, and they had, um, they had actually participated in a church plant in Nanaimo, or sorry, in Victoria uh, for a number of years and saw it grow from a, a living room with a couple of young families to, to serve 100 people. And they had actually, in terms of the, the vision that God has put on our heart, they'd actually done it that way, through missional communities, relationally, reaching out, caring for their neighbors. And, and so it was like, 
and Megan and I have been praying, go ahead, like, God, you know, it would be really nice to have somebody that kind of knows this stuff. And so when we met them, we were like, this is it. I think this is it. And, uh, and we had a really nice dinner and had a really nice time with them. But the next day, they went to a church that is already established. <laughs> and it's a church that's reaching out into their community. And it's right, you know, it's within walking distance of both their home and the school where their kids are at. And people that attend that church actually have children in the school that their kids are in. And, and it was just like this perfect fit. And I have to admit that there was this moment where it's just like, oh, I so want to just grab you and say, no, you know. Stick with us. We need you so bad. And there's that desire to, in a sense, control, right? And, uh, and God was saying then, and as he said to me again this week, that, that God is great, and so I don't need to be in control. He knows the needs that we have. He knows the vision that he's laid on our hearts, and he knows what it's going to take to get there. And even though it may not be this couple at this time, it's, you know, we trust that he's going to release the, the gifts, not only the resources, not only in terms of money, but also in terms of people uh, for what he's called us to do. And then finally, the, the, the last lie that they address is that, that God is withholding from you. And, and the answer to that lie is God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere for satisfaction. Can you sing it with me? I can't get no satisfaction. It's a, it's a very catchy riff, eh? You know it immediately. <laughs> but we try, and I try, and I try, and I try. I can't get no... Okay, sir. I'm betraying my, uh, my classic rock uh, passion <laughs> this morning. <laughs> But, you know, there's really nothing new under the sun in the sense that we all have um, uh, longings and desires. And there's always this temptation to be drawn uh, to finding satisfaction for those needs and those desires in things other than God. I think, I think if we're all honest with ourselves, that, that is there. And, it's, and I think it's, it's important for us, as we read this morning and as we will declare now, the goodness of God uh, to, to supply all that we need. In Psalm 145, it says that the Lord is good to all, and he has compassion on all that he has made. In Psalm 34 this morning, we read this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who trust in him. Jesus says this, he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I lay down my life for them. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, he says, God, you are good, and everything that you do is good everything. You know, God's goodness is woven into the very fabric of, of all creation. When we read in Genesis 1, when God is, is creating the universe and creating the earth, after each day of creation, what does he say? It's, it's good. And after it's all completed, what does he say? It's, it says, this is very good. That, that in the very fabric of creation, God's, God's very character, his, who he is, um, is there. And and I, and I wonder, though, I wonder then, but then if, if, everything, if God's goodness is woven into creation right from the very beginning, then why is it that we still have these longings, these, these needs? Because if it, if, it was, if it was very good, wouldn't that take care of all of those things? And it, like, just right off the bat, I was, I was thinking of this. I don't, I don't know how much fun it would be, though. You know, like, if, if we didn't have to eat anymore, we just kind of walked around with an intravenous in our veins and just get, you know, like feel for the body and away we go. <laughs> I don't know. 
I don't, I don't know if that would have been really all that fun, but, but you know, I think, let's just take, take food, for instance, and hunger. Why do we have this, this ongoing need, this ongoing uh, thing that needs to be satisfied in us? I think it's because in each instance, God wants to remind us of our need for dependence on him, our need to be uh, connected to him. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He says, without me, you can do nothing. And Jesus, when we think about our physical hunger, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, like a signpost that says, just remember, Dave, when you wake up in the morning and you need to have your cereal, let that be a signpost pointing to the one. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger again. There's, there's this recognition that, that God knows that our soul thirsts for him, our flesh yearns for him as the psalmist says in Psalm 63. And so it becomes a signpost. And, and uh, even the very air that we breathe, we read in Genesis chapter 2, it says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And when Jesus sends his disciples out, he says, Peace I give you. And, and he says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then that he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but there's, there's times where we can say, say some of these things. I'm drowning in my sorrows, or I got choked up. And it's not like somebody had their hands around our neck, or that we were actually underwater, but that, that the weight of life and the things that were going on in our lives, they began to take the life away from us, and we were trying again. And, God, and, and those senses, those feelings that we have that need to be satisfied, they're again, they're a signpost to say, Come to me and I will give you my spirit. I will give you life. For the, for the thirsty, Jesus says, come to me, I will give you living water that will never run dry. And for those who are looking for shelter, Jesus says, uh, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. That God is our refuge and our fortress, our God in whom we trust. So I think we have this, these ongoing needs, these, these things that need to be satisfied ultimately because they lead us Back to him. This is what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 55. He says, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, this is grace. It's all grace. It's God's provision. He says, you don't have anything that you can bring. You, you think that you can satisfy that longing, but ultimately the one that is deep within you can only be satisfied by me. He says, you, you don't have any money, and you who have no money, Come. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, God says. He says, listen to me. And eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. All of these longings that we have are meant to lead us back to Jesus to the one who is good and who alone can satisfy those longings. And I, was, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about you know, uh, heaven. Um, the, I don't know about you, but there's, uh, there's times where I've been really perplexed in terms of, we'll hear a sermon on heaven, and they say that we keep singing, and we keep singing, and we keep singing, and it sounds like a really long church service. And you know, our church services are pretty decent, but to have them 24-7, I... I I don't know. I, I, I'm just going to say for myself, I would find that pretty challenging. But as I thought about this, you know, like the resurrected Jesus, when he appears to his disciples, 
what is, what is one of the things that he asked for? He says, uh, yeah, give me a fish. Give me a fish, and, and he eats it. And later on, he meets his disciples um, on the seashore, and he's cooking them breakfast. And they sit down, and they have a meal together. Now, this is the resurrected Jesus. This is the one that sits at the Father's right hand in heaven, and he seems to chow down on fish. And so, and so I, I began to think about that, and, and it started to make sense to me a little bit more about the, um, the singing and the praise that goes on in heaven. I think what it might be is that, that heaven is this place where we have, we have no lack, right? Like in this earth, we do. We lack some of the basic necessities. We lack the, the close, intimate relationships that we were created for. There's, there's so much that we lack. But in heaven, there's no lack. But it doesn't mean that we don't have to eat. It doesn't mean that we won't necessarily have to drink because God's going to give us a new creation. He's going to give us new bodies. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And, and I think what it is is that then when we have, like here we kind of give thanks, you know, um, God is great. God is good. Thank you, Jesus, for this food. Amen. So we kind of have the pre-meal thanks. But I think in heaven what it is is that we have this clear recognition that God has provided all in all. That as the scriptures say, it's in him already on this earth that we live and move and have our being. How much more so in heaven will it be? And so when we, when we eat, we just... God, thank you. This is so good. You're such a good provider. When we drink, we like, praise you, Jesus. Thank you. You continue to show your goodness towards us over and over again. And then, you know, we get, we get a chance to do some work, and we just thank you, Jesus, that you have created this new creation in which I can express myself, and I can, I can participate it with you in a new creation. That, and so it's just this constant, all the things that we need, the things that we satisfy us, actually lead us back as it's meant to be on earth. In heaven it will be continuous. Always before the throne, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. The whole earth is full of his glory. Everything is magnificent. His blessings abound over and over and over again for us. And I think when we experience longing, when we experience the needs that need to be satisfied, I believe God's invitation is to is that I, I, I did that on purpose. I did that on purpose so that you would remember that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, from our Heavenly Father. I think I find this helpful in terms of God's yes, but I, but I wonder if, if for you, some of you, and as it is maybe for me as well at times, is what about God's no? Sometimes, sometimes God does uh, give us a no. And and I remembered this verse from Psalm 16. It's one that's, that's very much encouraged me over the years. It says this. It says, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup, and you have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And as I've, as I've read this verse over the years, this, this idea of the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, it feels like you know there are times where God puts a fence around where he says yes but no and i I was thinking about this gary if you could put up the first picture uh, you know oftentimes sheep you know they yearn to to wander and go away and you can see that this little guy on the screen he's he's at the fence and he's (laughs) he's now stuck right because he's poked his head through the fence trying to get beyond the no of the fence but what i think is is as amazing is if we go to the next slide Really, what's behind him 
is just this huge pasture. Is there's there's this vista of all of that that the shepherd has provided for for him and the other sheep. But do you, do you ever get that place though, right? Where it's like, but God, I want this, and we go and we stick our head right through the fence and we get stuck because we're just longing for that that one thing. But God says, no, actually. My no is, is beautiful for you because it enables you to fully enjoy all that I've provided for you. And what does he say here? He says, I have a delightful inheritance and it is secure. Sometimes God's no to the longings that are on our heart are actually the boundaries which actually uh, in, embrace and encircle the delightful inheritance that he has already given to us. And so we can receive it as such that that unfulfilled longing is maybe his goodness towards us that actually enables us to securely enjoy the inheritance that he has provided. And then I think finally that, that you know, sometimes God gives us a not yet. And I think, uh, and I'm not going to try to recount all of John's sermon, but I was listening to it online. And one of the things that John had said to you guys last week is that delays can often build in us a patient expectation. That when God says, yes, just not yet, that, that it builds an expectancy in us. And we find this in, in the book of Exodus when God is, is bringing his people into the promised land. They're going into to the place that he has prepared for them. And he, and he says that he's going to send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the other, the other peoples. But I will not drive them out in a single year, he says, because the land will become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. And I think that sometimes that's what God is doing in us. That God may have actually a yes for us, but it's a yes, not yet. And it's because he wants to grow us up little by little so that when we get to the place that we actually desire to be, the, to see that longing fulfilled, we actually have the capacity then to fully embrace it, to actually live the destiny that he has for us. If he were to give it to us too soon, it would be too much for us. And so I, I just, I just thought this morning, as, as you know, as I was preparing for today, it's, it's actually, it's not rocket science message this morning. It's actually very simple. It's just that that God is good, and everything that He does is good, in His yes, in His no, in His not yet. And so we can, we can rest in that. We. In the book of Romans, Paul says this. He says, We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I believe, as you're here this morning, I don't know all of you, but those that I do, I know that you love him. I know that you've been called according to his purpose. So we can be confident that in that calling and in that love, that he's working all things out for the good might not be able to see it today, but it's on God in whom we rest all of our hopes. It's to God we come in all of our fears and our challenges, and we say, he is going to work it out for the good because he knows that we love him. Um, very early on in the life of Jericho Road, Psalm 27 was, was this, just a significant passage for us. And the second to last verse, it says this, I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. God would want to um, just assure us again in this, in some ways, deceptively simple message that God is good. All that he does is good. 
And even in the brokenness of our lives, he can make it good for those who love him. So we don't have to prove ourselves. We do not have to fear others or the circumstances that we face. We don't have to try to control others in those situations or look to anywhere but God to satisfy our needs. Amen. Gary, I'm going to stretch you this morning. Uh, There's a song that's in our database. It's called uh, I Lift My Eyes Up or Psalm 121. I'm not too sure what it'll be called. Um, but it is the the psalm that we read this morning. And uh, so Psalm 121, there it is. Um, many of you will know this song. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? Our help comes from you. Maker of heaven, creator of the earth. Oh, how I need you, Lord. Oh, how I need you, Lord. You are my only hope. You're my only prayer. So I will wait for you. To come and rescue me, come and give me life. Let's sing it one more time. I lift. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you. Maker of heaven, creator of the earth. Oh, how I need you, Lord. You are my only hope. You're my only prayer. So I will wait for you. To come and rescue me, come and give me life. So Father, we, uh, we thank you this morning that you have reminded us of your goodness. We thank you, Jesus, that your, your, your mercies are new every morning. Your faithfulness is great. Thank you, Father, that when we were dead in our sin, that you made us alive in Christ. That when we were yet enemies with God, that you made a way for us to be called friends. That when we were lost and, and without hope, that you adopted us as your children, your sons, and your daughters. We thank you that you caused uh, your rain to fall and the sun to shine on both the good and the evil. That you remain faithful to, to the cre- your creation and to everyone that is on it. And Father, when we uh, when we... When we sense these longings and, and these needs in our lives, we, we just say again today that we will look to you first, that you are good. And so we don't have to go anywhere else to satisfy those needs, those longings. Help us to trust uh, you in the times where um, the way isn't clear. Help us to trust you in the no and the not yet because you are good and all that you do is good. So we thank you that uh, we can uh, have a faith that is rests on the solid rock that is Jesus. May we not stumble over that rock, 
Lord, may we uh, embrace you, Jesus. We thank you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes on you this morning.